Welcome to another episode of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, your home for the latest news and analysis from the world of college hoops. Back again are your hosts, Josh Burton, Phil Dexter, and Corey Gardner. What is up, you guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, episode 112. I'm, of course, your host, Josh Burton, and joining me today is my teammate, Phil Dexter. Phil, what was that nickname we gave you, that special title that you've earned? Uh, I think it's the Vice President of Content. Was that it? <laughs> I, yeah, I think that's right, right? The Vice President of Content. I yeah, I think that sounds right. It, it sounds important, so we'll take it. Yeah, so the vice president of content, Phil Dexter, here with us. Um, Phil, how's your weekend been so far? Good, man. I don't know about uh, there in Indiana, but here in North Carolina, just a lot of storming. So we've just been hanging out inside, watching some movies, watching some basketball. You know how it goes. What about you? Um. Kind of the same, although not so much the storms. I think the other night we did have one, but it's basically just been hot and dry, man, to the point where I'm not even going to cut my grass right now because it's just going to kill the grass. I hear that. I don't even have grass barely. It's just like a few weeds out there. And so if we get a couple of good rains, I got to go out there and mow real quick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know. Some people will, they'll go out there and cut the grass regardless, but then I'm like, you're just killing that grass and then it's going to look brown and disgusting and like spotty. I'm like, bro, let it rain for a little bit and start to grow and then I'll go back and cut it. Yeah. Tell that to my homeowners association. Shit. Why they make you cut it? Yeah, man. They out here putting notices on people's doors after like eight days. Really? Oh yeah, dude, this shit is wild. Don't even don't even get me started on this. I could do a whole episode on how much I fucking hate my homeowners association. <laughs> dude, some people can be weird as hell, you know. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Like I literally got a notice uh, a couple weeks ago. We had gone ten days in between mowing our lawn, and we got a fucking letter on our door. That type of shit. Wow. You know, I'd be remiss um, if I didn't mention that episode 112 is brought to you today by our good friends and sponsors of the ECB podcast this year. The title sponsors, Beauty to Beast Nutrition, located in Edinburgh, Indiana. It's a juice bar. It's healthy for you. They serve a lot of different teas and protein shakes. And we've mentioned them before in the last week since we formed this partnership. Fantastic. I've had the cherry blossom. I've just tried the birthday bash the other, the pomegranate birthday bash because they have different versions of it. Fantastic. If you guys are in or around the central Indiana area or just passing through and you want to support, you want to support ECB and help our friends out at Beauty to Beast Nutrition, stop in. It's located in downtown Edinburgh. Stop in, get you a healthy drink. Tell them ECB sent you. Natasha will hook you up with 10% off your purchase. I promise you. When you go get a mega, if you get the regular, you're going to drink that thing so fast and be like, I should have spent the extra dollar or two and got the mega because they are phenomenal. So we got to shout out our friends and sponsors at Beauty to Beast Nutrition located in Edinburgh, Indiana. Can't thank them enough for hopping on board with us this year. Um, Absolutely. I haven't gotten the chance to uh, try them out yet, but I do follow them on Facebook and I get to see all those delicious smoothies juices um you know they have oat bowls 
So anything you need, you know, you need a little bit of breakfast, you can stop in there. Um, it, it just, it looks fantastic. And we could not be more thankful for their, you know, partnership. Oh, abs- yeah, absolutely, man. Natasha, like I said, she's a great person, dude. Um, just stop in and chat with you if you guys are around the area. And like I said, tell me, CB, since you get 10% off of your entire purchase, it's well worth it if you're around the area and want something healthy to drink. Way better for you than any of those pops or anything else like that. By the way, man, before we get into college basketball talk, I'm about, I think I'm three weeks now into keto. I've dropped about 30 pounds and I feel fucking phenomenal. And these, the Beauty to Beast Nutrition, the teas are a huge part because they're all keto friendly. And it makes you feel good because sometimes you get that urge. Because if you're like me and I know you're in the South, sweet tea is a major deal. Like I'm not a snob about much. I'm a snob about sweet tea. This isn't necessarily sweet tea, but it's got enough flavor in it. And like I said, it's healthy for you if you're on a keto diet or whatever type of diet you're on that it gives you that same like enjoyment that a sweet tea would give you. Um, so we're here to talk about today. Phil, I was waiting on you like an idiot to say something, but I guess you wasn't going to. So thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't, I didn't want to keep elaborating on the juice. So I wasn't really sure where to go with that, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to talk a little little off-season news here today. We got uh, some DJ Wagner stuff going on, some GG Jackson stuff going on. Um, so definitely definitely a couple interesting little, you know, rumor mill type stuff to talk about. Yeah. Um, and before we get in all that, I'd, of course, if you guys are watching along with us live, as always, we are on the Facebook group. We are on Twitter. Go follow us at Twitter at ECB Podcast 10. And we're on the YouTube channel. Just go search up in the in the search bar everything college basketball, you'll find us there. If you're following along with us today, have any questions, comments, or anything else, leave it in the chat. We'll get right away to it. But no, since you mentioned DJ Wagner, I know we've talked about in the last episode, we've alluded to it for a couple months now. It's the ongoing saga. And I say saga, not in the sense of another former talent that we're going to speak on here in a little bit, Imani Bates, not in like a negative saga, but man, like the pendulum swings, in short, DJ Wagner for years now has been considered a Kentucky lean. And then KP gets hired at Louisville. He hires his grandfather, Milt Wagner. Then analysts switch their predictions to Louisville. It's been Louisville for the last couple months. Well, this past week, we get a big 4th of July explosion firework type deal because now those same analysts are either retracting and saying it's too close to call or in the case of a lot of them they've made the switch back to Kentucky it does appear that Kentucky is the favorite again to land the highly touted DJ Wagner Phil I'm gonna let you take first volley on this because I got a lot to say about DJ and this whole deal Um, I want to hear your thoughts first well, I'll be honest, I, I'm not surprised by any of this. I mean, you know from our personal conversations that I've sort of been on the don't get too sure about DJ going to Louisville train. And I don't think anything in his thought process or in the way he ranks these schools or anything like that has changed over the past few months. I think that a lot of what we've been hearing you know, about his recruitment has been driven by optimism from the Louisville fan base. Um, Obviously, the hiring of his grandfather was a huge deal. But throughout all of that, if you've 
you know, read from people close to, you know, the source. If you've read Kyle Tucker, um, Pat Forty did a piece about it. Kentucky's been in this the whole time. It, it's never been this landslide, oh, Louisville's way out in the lead, like everybody's been talking about. I mean, Cal has a great relationship with Dewan. That's always going to be there. And, and the Milt thing, whether Milt got hired or not, him and KP were best friends. DJ's familiar with KP. Like that, the Milt thing is not that big of a deal to me. Like I still, again, not, to me, I, I think it's sort of a non-story to be honest. I think it, DJ is probably 50-50. And he's probably been 50-50. And I don't think we're going to know for, you know, six or eight more months, really, what is exactly going on here. No, I think that's a good point. Um, I'm trying to figure out which piece of the cake I'm going to dive into first here. But as far as DJ goes, you keep doing – the one thing you've heard and you hear it more now is that DJ appears to be nearing a decision one way or another. The same with his high school teammate, Aaron Bradshaw. That should be coming up in the next week or two. But as far as DJ goes, let's start with the Louisville momentum. Kentucky had the had the favorite on him. They were leading the race for, like I mentioned, for a long time. And then KP gets hired. They bring in Nolan Smith, and they bring in DJ's grandfather, uh, Milt. So then the pendulum swings. You start getting guys like Travis Graff putting their uh, crystal ball predictions in for Louisville and the momentum appeared to be shifting towards Louisville. And then I think we mentioned it a couple of shows ago when Robert Dillingham committed to Kentucky, you know, it was thought to be, well, maybe, you know, DJ isn't going to Louisville now because why would they both go to Kentucky? Well, now we've seen, as you mentioned, Kyle Tucker has said this whole time, the Kentucky staff has never wavered in their confidence about bringing in DJ into the program and now we're starting to see the momentum shift back to Kentucky. If I am, if I am Calipari in them, obviously I'm ecstatic. But I do wonder how much, you know, I wonder how much this trip when he just left Spain this last week. He went, he flew over to Spain to watch Team USA's under 17, which just won the gold medal, play in person specifically for DJ. I'm sure he watched a couple other kids, but specifically for DJ. I wonder how much that had to affect because as he's over there, now these crystal ball predictions are changing. Regardless, DJ, we've said the whole time, is going to the state of Kentucky, albeit Kentucky or Louisville. It does seem like Kentucky's the favorite, but I also wouldn't count Louisville out as Peyton joins the show with us now. I'm sure he's going to have a lot to say on this as well. But I wouldn't count Louisville out. It would not surprise me if DJ before decision day, if you don't have him going back and forth, one week he's leaning towards Louisville, one week he's leaning towards Kentucky. Why? Because he's a teenager. Teenagers change their mind all the time, and this is a major decision. DJ, by all accounts, is going to be a one and done. So he's only going to be at this school for one season unless something crazy happens. So this is a major decision of what program, where he feels most comfortable at, and all that. But if you believe the rumors, Kentucky is back in control of this situation. Peyton, I know you just joined us. I want to hear your thoughts because I know you have a lot on them. Well, I joined at the perfect time, it seems like, because we're talking about DJ Wagner and all this stuff's transpiring over this past week. Therefore, last I think last episode we did, or one of the last two episodes we did, I uh, logged in my uh, crystal ball prediction for DJ to go to Louisville. Fuck it, I'm switching it. He's going to Murray State now. Fuck both Kentucky and Louisville. <laughs> nah, I'm kidding. I'm not switching my prediction. My prediction stays true and it stays firm. I still think he's going to Louisville, 
Um, the rumors of him switching to Kentucky kind of confuses me a little bit. I get the family, um, the deal with DeWan and um, oh God, Coach Cal goes back over a long, long time ago. Um, and Cal's pretty much had the 17-year head start on this recruitment. Um, so I get that part. But I'm more confused with like guys like Jamie Shaw and Travis Brainham. Either they're switching their prediction to fully Kentucky or the, now they're just saying it's a close call. Because the only reason I say that is because it's kind of a dead period right now, uh, recruiting-wise. Uh, the Peach Jam's going to start here, I think, next week. Um, obviously, uh, the U-17 squad uh, for the World Cup, they're in Spain right now. So it's, as far as recruiting-wise, it's been a kind of a dead period, so I'm kind of confused on why all of a sudden now uh, the predictions are starting to switch. Now we're starting to hear all these rumors that – Jamie Shaw posted two weeks ago. He did an article pretty much saying that this can DJ Wagner's recruitment is over and he's going to Louisville. He said that DJ, um, his family, they like what KP is all about. Uh, they like their family deal there and they're ready to commit sometime soon. And now fast forward two weeks later, he switched that to now he's 95% sure that Kentucky will get DJ and he, and I quote, he said in his article that he posted a couple days ago, uh, it might have been yesterday actually, that he said that the family ties were just too much for Wolver to overcome. In the span of two weeks, that part confuses me just a little bit. However, I don't think this recruitment's over. Louisville, Salinic, Kentucky's always been at, like Phil said earlier. Phil, I want to bring up this because I know Peyton and I've got her big thoughts on this, but I want to hear your thoughts first. The Louisville fan base needs to take a step back because KP's not even that coaching staff's not coached one game yet. We're, we're still months away from the season. And as soon as this news broke and I'm not going to, you know how we talk. Yeah. There's a bad portion of every fan base. I would know as a Kentucky fan, that part makes us look crazy and stupid a lot of times, but this portion I'm talking to of the Louisville fan base is the crazy one. Um, Phil, you've seen it as soon as this this news broke where now Kentucky's back in control seemingly. What Louisville fans are having a meltdown and saying like, oh, KP's settling for mediocrity. We're already in the shits. We're already in the tubes. How did we lose this? Keep in mind the recruitment's not over. And even if you did lose him, we know how great KP and Nolan Smith are as recruiters. If you do lose DJ Wagner, it's not the end of the world. Give these guys time because I told Peyton off the air that even if you do lose DJ, for years to come, Louisville is going to be in the top five, top ten nationally every single year from here on out in recruiting. It's not a time to melt down. Give these guys a chance. Well, with fan bases now, everything is such about instant gratification. I mean, you see it on both sides of the coin. If it, if a team struggles for one season, even if it's a guy's first year, they're ready to get rid of them. And on the same side of the token, you know, if a guy starts signing a couple of recruits, all of a sudden he's the savior. I mean, John Shire, I seen listed on a in the top fifteen of active coaches on somebody's list this offseason without ever having coached a game. So I just think it's sort of the way, especially in college basketball and college football. I don't notice it as much in the professional ranks, but everything is just such instant gratification. You want it right now, and nobody's willing to let these guys, you know, take some time and build a program. Peyton, this is your fan base. We've talked about it off air, but go ahead and let that crazy part that's having meltdowns right now, let them have it. 
Yeah, before I do that, I think this recruitment, no matter where he goes, he's going to, one of us is going to be mad. Either you're going to be mad at Kentucky fans, because it goes the same way for both ways. Because, like I said earlier, Coach Callis had a 17-year head start in this recruitment. If he loses all of a sudden, if he goes, if DJ goes to Louisville, then I'm sure a lot of Kentucky fans are going to be pissed off at Cal for losing this one. And if KP loses this recruitment to Coach Cal, even though that we have uh, his grandfather, Milt Wagner, on um, on the staff, then KP is going to get shit from Louisville fans. So it goes both ways. But talking about Louisville fans, though, I'm not pissed off at all about guys like Jeremy Shaw or Branham or whoever it is switching their predictions to Kentucky. If DJ goes to Kentucky, that's fine with me. You won't hear any bitching, any complaining from my side at all. But what I am pissed off more about is this dumbass Louisville fans or so-called fans that all of a sudden is now switching up or starting to question Kenny Payne and this coaching staff, even though they haven't even coached a fucking game yet. And we're already complaining about this coaching staff. It's like, oh, I'm starting to have questions. Can this coaching staff get it done? At least let him coach a game. He hasn't even coached an exhibition game, let alone a full or a regular season game yet. Give this dude time. He's going to get recruits coming in. He's going to get the four stars. He's going to get the five stars. Hell, we've already technically had a five star in Brinley Hatfield, or Brinley Huntley Hatfield commit for us. He was a former five star. So give him time to get recruits in. And I promise you, I'm still confident DJ is going to come to Louisville. And when he does, like I think he will, all these so called Louisville fans are going to look stupid for shitting on KP and this coaching staff. Well, Peyton, even, I mean, think about this. You've arguably got two of the top ten recruiters in the game on your sidelines right now and KP and Nolan Smith. Even if you do miss out on DJ Wagner, the idea that you've gained this much ground on a super talented generational type player in DJ Wagner in this short amount of time is success in itself, even if he does not go to Louisville. And the fact that, keep in mind, they're so great at recruiting that when was the last time Louisville is going to be consistently involved in four and high five stars coming to the program? It's been a long time since you've even been in the conversation. Look yeah. at outside DJ Wagner of all the guys that you've either offered or now you're all of a sudden high on their list. That wasn't happening for the last 10, 15 years. Even nah. in the Patino era, you got great recruits. Peyton Siva was a five-star point guard. Russ you Smith. got Donovan Mitchell, Russ Smith, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you will recruit at a level unlike Louisville seen since probably the 1980s. Yeah, well, our last, like, our last top five recruit, if I remember correctly, was like 2009 when Tomato Samuels committed to Louisville. And he might have been the number one player in that class. Well, 2008, whichever class it was. But, hey, I know for sure he was top five, and that was in the Patino era. But ever since then, we haven't got like a top five player in a very long time. And that's going to change, like you said. I have trust in KP and Nolan Smith and Danny Manning and even Josh Jamison. I have faith in this recruiting staff or in this staff that we're going to get the top recruits in. We're going to develop them, and Louisville's going to be back in the top, fighting for ACC crowns, be in contention for Final Fours very, very soon. Just give the man time. Around. <laughs> uh, well, that's true. It doesn't matter what's conference. We'll be in contention for it. Um, but just give this man, give this coaching staff time to develop and really get his recruits. Because Caleb Glenn, 
who's a full down now, I guarantee you by the time next year, he'll probably be in contention for a five-star. Or he'll be a top 30 prospect. He has had a hell of a summer so far. I, EYBL, he's been lighting it up. He's been doing great things. He's going to play himself into five-star, or at least a top 30 recruit by the time he heads to Louisville. So we all got a good player in him. Speaking of five stars, if you guys noticed in the background here, I just posted on our Facebook group about an hour ago, we've got a brand new logo to celebrate our fifth year in existence for new beginnings. Um, if you notice the stars, we are five-star rated, ECB. Just wanted to point that out. Um, on the flip side, though, Phil, think about this. If DJ does come to Kentucky, look at the class Cal Perry's potentially building for 2023. This will remind you of old Calipari from the 2010 to 2014 era. Let's just say theoretically, we've already got Robert Dillingham and Reed Shepard on the books. If he does or end up getting DJ Wagner, you had DJ Wagner, potentially Aaron Bradshaw, and then maybe one of either, if they can get in for either Ron Holland or Justin Edwards. Bro, that is old school Calipari. That fully gives the mojo back to Cal on the recruiting trail. I mean, that's big time right there, Phil. Absolutely. That would be a recruiting class similar to, I believe it was his first one with Cousins and Wall. Or even, you know, you go to the Harrison Twins, um, Carl Anthony Towns. That You know, those days when he was bringing in constant multiple top 10, top 20 guys. Um, and obviously he's still been recruiting well. We just haven't seen it to that level. Um and with the transfer portal now, you know, you didn't have the transfer portal back then. With what he can add to to that talent with the transfer portal and having some veteran guys around him, I mean, that would be a super dangerous squad. Yeah, Speaking of – Go ahead, Peyton. Robert Dillingham, DJ Wagner, Aaron Bradshaw, a.k.a. De'Aaron Fox, Malik Monk, and Bam Adebayo. It's like almost identical to that 2016-17 squad of Bam, uh, Malik Monk, and De'Aaron Fox. And that team was really good. So if you get all these guys, then Kentucky's going to be a number one recruiting class, at least got to be in my eyes, along with Reed Shepard. And if you get um, either Holland coming in or Justin Ev or Edwards, whichever one, um, Kentucky's going to have a great class. Anybody who says Coach Cows fell off the recruiting side, you're either dumb or you're hating um, well, at that I point. I think what we're seeing now with Kyle Perry is he's pissed off. I think after some of the failures of not meeting expectations, especially last season with the early round loss, I think he's pissed off because this is the first time in many years we've seen Cal already offer and aggressively go after dudes so early. Here in the last five, six seasons, he's been laying back and offering late and trying to pick up. I think these failures or lack of meeting expectations and Duke killing him in the recruiting trail – I think he's fed up with it and like, all right. And you got to give credit to his staff because it's not just him. Orlando Antigua came back, took over for Kenny Payne. Antigua was always a great recruiter. Um, he was there when Cal first came in. And you got to give a lot of credit to Chin Coleman because he's put a lot of work in, especially, in my opinion, he's the reason Robert Dillingham is coming to Kentucky because he was instrumental in recruiting him at Illinois. And then as soon as he came over to Kentucky, he started back in on him, despite Dillingham being committed to North Carolina State. So guys like Antigua and Chen Coleman's really helping Cal out, and Cal's got that kind of swagger back on the recruiting trail where he's locking dudes down. Could be a good thing, a new uh, renaissance of Kentucky basketball, which is much needed. And the last thing I'll say on this before we move on to our next topic, uh, with the meltdown of Louisville fans, 
Of course, some of them are upset and trying to downplay Kentucky, and that's expected. I see, I forget the poster, but he's like, I just don't see how, if you do get DJ Howe, Robert Dillingham, DJ, and Reed Shepard, you're going to have room for them all because they're all going to want to start. No, they're not. DJ and Robert Dillingham starting. Reed Shepard, regardless if those two guys come in, understands he's coming in to be a multi-year player and accepting a role off the bench. I like Reed Shepard. I think he's a talented player. But he's going to be one of those guys, if he sticks it out at Kentucky long enough, that by his junior, senior year, he'll be more of a contributor. It, those first two years, he's probably not going to – he'll play some, but he's not going to play a whole lot. No. And I think I know the name because i seen that post as well, and I didn't even – normally I like anything about Louisville-wise, but that there was just a dumb post, and I didn't even like it. it was like I didn't want to comment on it, which I didn't. I know you did. Um, or you mentioned about it, so I'll just let you deal with that because, yeah, it's a stupid post. Uh, this is a, talking about Cal and him being motivated and being pissed off. This is also another reason why I'm not mad on this whole DJ recruitment. And I think Louisville fans need to look on the bright side of this. Like I told someone else on my uh, one of my Facebook or one of my Twitter pages about this, is that KP is the only dude that's pressured Cal for DJ Wagner. You didn't see Coach K offer or get involved in this recruitment. You didn't see Bill Seth. You don't see Izzo, Hubert Davis, whoever it is. KP is the only two that's pressured Cal for this recruitment. And it's neck and neck right now. I think Phil said it earlier. This recruitment's 50-50. He's not a lock to Louisville like a lot of Louisville fans bought this narrative that he was a lock to Louisville. And now they're pissed off that he's not, even though they're the ones who bought that narrative on him. And he's not a lock in Kentucky, despite these rumors. It's 50-50 at this point. And if I was – last thing I'll say on this, and I told you guys this, I think yesterday or the day before. If I wasn't – if KP wasn't confident in getting DJ Wagner, or if he didn't think he had a legitimate shot to get DJ Wagner, his ass would have been in Spain with Danny Manning and Nolan Smith watching DJ Wagner play in the U-17 World Cup. Instead, he was in Nike YBL watching guys like Mookie Cook and Aaron Bradshaw get involved in their recruitments. So, Wolf has just relaxed. This recruitment's not over. Hey, Phil, we, you know, I want to stay on this recruiting topic, but move on away from DJ Wagner real quick before we move on to Monty Bates and other things. Um, I just mentioned Chen Coleman and how great he's been as an addition for recruiting and other purposes. You know, he did come from your squad at Illinois. You know, I, I thought Illinois, after losing Coleman and Antigua to Kentucky, I thought Illinois might take a step back in recruiting. But Brad Underwood deserves a lot of credit for being one of maybe the top five recruiters in America right now. Illinois' recruiting classes have looked really nice and look to be so moving forward. Um, anything you want to say on Illinois recruiting and Brad Underwood at that aspect? Um, yeah, you said it. Brad Underwood has shown himself to be a top 10 recruiter, somebody I don't want to, uh, you know, go without getting their proper credit because he's been phenomenal recruiting for them and has been on the staff for a while now is Chester Frazier. Um, he's kind of taken over as the lead recruiter now that Antigua has gone and uh, has done a phenomenal job. Um, you know, Illinois alum. I, be- I could be mistaken on this, but I believe Chester Frazier actually played more games than anybody ever for Illinois. Um, but just a solid dude. And like you said, we have, you know, top 10 recruiting class coming in this upcoming season. We're starting to be involved with those top 15, top 20 guys, maybe not really the top five, top 10 guys yet, 
but I've been very impressed with the level of recruiting Brad Underwood's done. And he's really made a point of uh, trying to keep the Chicago kids home, which I think is going to be going forward for Illinois is always a huge recruiting thing. I've always said, if you're coaching the Illinois, you need to lock down Chicago. Far too many talents have left the city of Chicago and went out of state elsewhere. Illinois needs to recruit Chicago first and foremost before they go anywhere else because you're going to find a lot of superstars coming out of that city. Well, and um, I shit on Bruce Weber all the time, but honestly, if you talk to people in that area and high school coaches, that was the downfall of the Illinois program with Bruce Weber. Is he did not make any relationships with the high school coaches in that area. And even um, Jim Gross, when he came in, did a lot better in that regard. And Underwood's just sort of built on that. Honestly, you can't play revisionist history, but if you do look back, I mean, I'm glad it didn't happen, but say Brad Underwood was who he is now at Illinois 10 years ago, 11, 12 years ago, whatever now, you know, you'd have to wonder if they didn't give Kentucky a race for Anthony Davis down the stretch, considering AD came from Chicago. It would have been real interesting at that time. Yeah, um, I mean, numerous guys, him, Jaleel Okafor, Okafor uh, Jabari yeah. Parker. Um, there, was, there was a three- or four-year stretch where – you know, one of the top three players at least was from Chicago. So they definitely missed out on that era. Hey, a couple other recruits I want to talk about because I just finished watching the, the under-17 USA team beat Spain for the gold medal. I mentioned Ron Holland. That kid is a stud, athletic freak. Wherever he goes to school at, he's going to be an instant impact to whatever program he goes to. Um, and the other guy that I thought had a really great showing out in Spain was Cooper Flagg. He had damn near a triple-double today. Blocking, he had three blocks. The only crediting for one, which was insane. He had three blocks in the span of five seconds. Yeah, I mean, I think I mentioned him on the last episode, and I've talked about him on Twitter, but could not be more impressed with Cooper Flagg. 15 years old, uh, almost two years younger than a lot of these dudes playing. By far the youngest dude on Team USA and has to be one of the youngest guys in the tournament and has just showed out, has looked not out of place at all, great defensive instincts, been blocking shots. Um, I expect him to be shooting up recruiting boards in his class, and if not top five, definitely top 10, 15. And it helps he's got an outside game, the ability to stretch bigs away from the floor in the modern game, hitting threes. I think he's a huge talent. People will be lucky to get him wherever he goes. The other one, Peyton just brings it up. You guys are following along with us live. We've got Gigi Jackson highlights in the background. Yep. Phil, this is in your neck of the woods. Gigi is a five-star kid that's currently, this is a weird situation, currently committed to the University of North Carolina. But rumors and reports, same in a way to DJ Wagner this week too, have came out that he's probably going to, um, switch allegiance to the other Carolina team and go to South Carolina. It's down between, if he does, it'll be South Carolina or the G League. All signs seem to be pointing to South Carolina, which is a huge pickup for their first-year head coach. Phil, thoughts on Gigi in this whole situation? Yeah, um, Peyton kind of mentioned he wasn't really sure what had changed in the DJ saga, and that's kind of what I feel about the Gigi Jackson saga, because, you know, it started to come out this week that, oh, well, his birthday is two weeks before the draft cutoff, and so technically he could be draft eligible this year. Well, his birthday never changed dates, so he's been draft eligible this whole time, so I'm not sure why reclassification has just now sort of been put on the table for him, but the situation sounds to me like, He's considering reclassification. If he 
decides to remain in the class that he's in now, the 2023 class, he will be at North Carolina. I don't even think South Carolina is under consideration in that scenario. Now, if he reclassifies, North Carolina doesn't have a scholarship for him currently. And because obviously, and again, that's another thing that tells me he was not even considering reclassifying because if he was, North Carolina would have kept a scholarship open until the last second to account for that possibility. Um, so I, I don't know if somebody's gotten into his ear. I, I'm not really sure what the case is here, but I'm a, pretty excited to see what happens over the next week because I think we're going to find out here pretty quick. I mean, I know Lamont Paris, which is South Carolina's new head coach, taking for Frank Martin. He, he did really good things. At, I think it was Chattanooga is where he was at. He did really good things. We knew how good the mocks were, the last, especially this last season. But you look at the roster, the research we've been doing for the special project, um, South Carolina, eh, this would be a major, major coup for South Carolina. But it does seem odd, does it not? Like you see normally a player like that goes to North Carolina. Usually they don't end up at South Carolina. Um, that seems to me like the kid just wants to get the college experience out of the way so he can go to the draft and have a year of college and maybe be – a big fish in a small pond and that's no offense to Lamont Paris and the Gamecocks, but it's just reality. You don't often see these kids go to, I don't want to call South Carolina a lesser school, but they are in the terms if you're compared Kentucky, Kansas, North Carolina to South Carolina, it's kind of an odd choice. And it's one that historically usually doesn't pan out as well. When I will say this real quick before I'm sure Peyton wants to get in here, but I think he probably would have committed to South Carolina originally had Frank Martin not been fired. Um, Gigi Jackson's family is very, very close with Frank Martin. I mean, very, very close to the point that UMass was in the conversation for a guy, you know, who's the number one recruit, number two recruit, depending on who you look at. But so I, I'm wondering too now if the fact that, you know, he is, he's technically from like right near the border in North and South Carolina, I believe, but, I'm wondering if he wants to stay closer to home and, you know, originally he, he was scared to make that commitment with Frank Martin being gone. And now that he's gotten to know Lamont Paris a little bit more and his family's in his ear wanting to keep him there. Um, that's sort of what the situation seems like to me is maybe not wanting to, I know Chapel Hill's still pretty close to where he's from, but it's not as close as Columbia is. Yeah, this recruitment is like too foggy for me to put my um, finger on. I don't know what's going to happen. I think I agree with Phil. If he stays in the 2023 class, um, he's staying with North Carolina. I don't see South Carolina getting a commitment from him anytime soon for the 2023 class. But if he reclassifies, just like the rumors are spreading, he's either going to the G League or he's going to South Carolina. And right now, Jamie Shaw and a couple other um, big-time recruiting analysts are starting to put their crystal ball predictions in for him to go to South Carolina, which is weird to think about because he – when's the last time you've seen a guy commit to a school and then a couple of weeks later, even though he's committed to a said school, he's starting to get crystal ball predictions for a different school? I don't think I've ever seen that happen, and at least not what I can remember. Yeah, it's not like – and it's not like North Carolina is in some sort of like trouble with the NCAA. If that's the case, then I would understand him getting crystal ball predictions for another school. Um, but no, North Carolina's not in trouble with the NCAA. Um, so we'll see. We'll find out probably here soon. Especially a dude that's already committed elsewhere. It happens all the time yeah. if a dude instantly decommits, but he's not officially decommitted. 
these rumors have kind of came out and you've seen where Hubert Davis and them's been in it, try to be in attendance for some of his, his action that almost like re-recruit him. It's really odd. Hey, let's move on to um, your guys' favorite player in college basketball this year, the big-time uh, stud sophomore, Imani Bates. I don't know if we talked about in episode 111 or 110, but let's talk about it. He officially, after this long, drawn-out de- uh, transfer portal issue, we all thought he was going to Louisville. Then you hear other schools, but he winds up back home at Eastern Michigan. He's going to be – you talk about a big fish in a small pond. Phil, what is up with your boy Imani Bates? I don't know, man. This this came out of left field for me. I know he had said that this was under consideration, but in every conversation we've had, and I think I even mentioned it on the last episode, I just didn't honestly believe that Eastern Michigan was under consideration because I don't see how they have much to add for him. I mean, unless he goes out and averages, let's say, 23, 24 points a game, shows himself against – you know, some top opponents in the non-conference and hopefully they make the tournament. I don't see how much this changes for his draft stock. I, I really don't. And, and so it's surprised. I, I thought the G League was going to be the option for him because it seems like everything him and his father do for the past three or four years has been focused on getting him to the NBA. And at this point, they just, they're just hoping that he still gets drafted. I mean, that sounds crazy to say, but if he went out and had another year this year, like he had last year, would it be out of the question for him to be undrafted? I mean, I don't think so. Hell no. I'm glad you mentioned that because I was going to mention that. It's very possible that he can go undrafted next year. Very possible. We see it every draft where a dude highly touted and ends up not drafted or late in the second round. Um, To me, and I don't want, you don't want to ever be negative on a, on a kid because that's still what he is. I don't care if he's 18 or not. He's still a kid. You don't want to be negative, but the reality is you're starting to kind of see that Imani Bates apparently doesn't have that winning mentality. He doesn't care about winning. If he cared about winning, he would have either stayed at Memphis or went to a team that could have had him a better chance or hit, make that team a better chance to win. He's going back home to play at a smaller school to probably put up numbers to think he's going to increase his draft stock since it's fallen so far. Keep in mind, this was a kid three years ago, three or four years ago, that was considered the best high school prospect since LeBron James. He was considered the number one consensus player in his uh, recruiting class from last year at one point, the best draft prospect since LeBron James. Now he's going to be a sophomore at Eastern Michigan. Guys, I just don't think Imani Bates cares about winning. He doesn't. He's the... He, he, he simply doesn't. The poof's in pudding. He don't give a shit about winning. Uh, he just wants to be the guy. That's why he went to Eastern Michigan. It's, I'm so pissed off at myself that it took me this long to figure out. But the reason that he fucking left or transferred away from Michigan and not – or not Michigan, sorry, uh, Memphis and not go to like a Louisville, he picked Eastern Michigan over Louisville, a team that KP could have got his ass drafted into the NBA with his NBA connections. Instead, he went to Eastern Michigan because if he goes to Louisville, guess what? He ain't going to be the guy in Louisville. He isn't going to be the guy that people talk about. Um, that guy is going to be Kenny Payne because it was in his first year. It's just that's the way it's going to go. And he knew that. That's why he went to Eastern Michigan because he will be the guy there. Um, and that's just that. I hope the best for the kid. But I'll tell you what. I'm glad this recruitment is over, and I'm glad he's committed and made his choice. And I think 
we actually dodged a bullet and not getting him committed. You yeah, I, I think he's a locker room killer. Look what happened at Memphis last year. Penny had to basically bench his ass for a long time. And then Memphis subsequently got better. They damn near beat Gonzaga in the second round. And I know he was back playing by then, but they got better as soon as Imani left the floor. And Phil, it, I, to me, it's clear that he's going to Eastern Michigan because they've probably promised him that he can have 30 shots a game. If he, He's probably going to average around 20 a game if he can make most of those shots and hit some free throws and all that good stuff. And he's probably going to tout it like, hey, I'm one of the top 15 scorers in college basketball, but his team's going to have seven wins. Well, and you sort of mentioned, you know, rewriting history or whatever, but let's just look, go back all the way to when this all started. After his sophomore year, let's imagine instead of creating some bullshit charter school so that he can be the guy, he goes to a Montverde Academy. He goes to an Oak Hill. He goes somewhere that can develop his skill. Yeah, IMG. He goes somewhere that will develop him as a player, not only from a skill standpoint, but from a mentality standpoint, from a confidence standpoint playing against and with the other best players in the country that shit is important and he missed out on that and and i think that does you know sort of point to i'm not sure how much of a competitor he is i'm not sure and i hate to bring this up about a kid again a kid like you mentioned but does he love basketball that much or i i still just wonder how much of all of this is driven by his father as like a show business type parent and, it is. and how much of that has hurt him again going back to his sophomore year in high school yeah well even josh well even josh before you decide to interrupt you but even when we seen him at that nike ubl tournament um about four some years ago in 2018 on his i don't remember what his team was i think Bates fundamental actually now i'm thinking about it yeah, um he was the only kid that was actually worth a damn on that team and he's yep. playing against Bonnie James' team, Strife for Greatness, who had Bonnie James, Sky Clark, Dior Johnson, guys who were actually good and helped him get better. Or help Bonnie James and his team get better. And they yeah, he had 40 some points and he looked amazing doing it. He was uh um they compared him to the next uh Kevin Durant. That's what people oh baby Kevin Durant, that's what the comparisons were. Um best high school prospect since LeBron. But yeah, the poof's in the pudding. It's all it's all his dad. I don't know how much I fought him for it, but I think he definitely deserves some of the blame because, like you guys said, I just don't think he, he gives a damn about winning. He's not a competitor um, like most high school players are. And I think his dad just got involved in his recruitment. And, uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see if he gets drafted. I don't know well, if he will or not. keep in mind, Amani originally committed to Michigan State. You talk about a play or a program that would develop him as a, a man and a better player. Tom Izzo would have been perfect for him, but I didn't fault him for decommitting because stylistically, Michigan State didn't fit what he likes to do best. Memphis was a good spot for him. The way Penny likes to play, get up and down the floor, be athletic, you know, play above the rim, shoot threes. That was a perfect fit for him, and he still didn't like that. Penny preaches defense, so maybe he didn't like that. But this makes no sense. I wish the kid the best. Hopefully he gets back on track. But I just, I, like we've all said, I do not think he values winning, and I don't think, like Phil said, he's much of a competitor. This well, is a weird the, move. And the last thing, just real, real quick, is he's not this super physical freak who who could get drafted on just that alone. You know, He's a, a rare player whose wingspan is shorter than his height. 
Um, he's not a crazy explosive athlete. So he has to go out and show that these skills that we've seen three or four years ago are on the level that we thought they would be. Cause he's, you know, some guys can get drafted on athleticism alone and he's not that dude. Yeah. He's not Zion. Exactly. Exactly. Not at all. Um, couple other things I want to talk about. Guys, we mentioned uh, when it broke last week or week before last, whenever it was, in the last few weeks about the conference expansion. We we pondered on what might happen to the Pac-12 and they're being dissolved. You hear now that the Pac-12 is going to try their hardest to stay a, a, a big conference, bring in some people. But you're also hearing rumors, too, that maybe the, the remaining Pac-12 schools might form with the Big 12. I still think if you're looking at a crystal ball five, six years from now, there is no more Pac-12, period. Football, basketball, the Pac-12's done. And I think the most likely scenario at this point is they do form, because I don't see now the Big 12 going away lightly, especially bringing in Cincinnati, UCF, some of those schools. I, I think if I'm Colorado and Utah and some of those, I'm trying my hardest to merge with the remaining Big 12. Yeah, I mean, it seems like just about everything's on the table. The only question I have with the Big 12, I and something that still makes me skeptical about its survival, is that I'm not sure how attractive all of those schools that are there are on their own without Texas and Oklahoma. I mean, is Cincinnati really in that better of a situation than they were in the American now that Texas and Oklahoma are leaving the Big 12? You know what I mean? Like, it, it basically makes it the leftovers of the Big 12. So ultimately, I see it becoming the big 10 and the sec two super conferences and just swallowing up who, who they want and kind of splitting it up. But again, right now it's just, it's all rumors. You see a different report every day. Um, and so it's, it's really hard to follow right now, to be honest with you. Yeah. Listen, if we're going to do super conferences, we might as well do it right. Throw fucking Louisville, uh, Kentucky, Duke, Carolina, throw them all in the same conference. Let's get this bitch going. Maybe throw IU, Purdue, maybe, if you just want to fucking get really wild and just get really fucking crazy. Georgetown, Syracuse, fuck it, let's do it. Peyton versus <laughs> Corey, throw us in the conference. We'll get it going. <laughs> let's do this yeah. some bitch life. We're going to do it. <laughs> now, for basketball sakes, that'd be tremendous. That'd be tremendous to have all of us in the same conference. But, um, yeah, wild times, we've mentioned it. We go back in the archives, you'll find it. Um, we did that emergency video. It's on the YouTube channel talking about the, the latest conference realignment news and notes. I just thought I'd bring that up. Hey, before we get out of here today, though, so we've been alluding to this special project we've been working on. We're not going to say what it is because it, now it's definitely not the time. But I do want to just we've basically been looking into teams already, going in, diving as deep as we can with as much information as we can. So a couple of these teams I'd like to talk about from our research early on, if you guys don't mind. Um, I took care of the SEC already. I've already started the Big East today. And let me tell you something. The Big East, the two teams I've done so far, are going to be really good. Villanova, obviously coming off of a Final Four Losing a couple key guys like Colin Gillespie, Jermaine Samuels. But the Villanova Wildcats under first-year head coach Kyle Neptune, they're not going to be deep. They're going to be six, seven probably is about it as far as quality goes. But they're going to be small again, but they're going to be really athletic. If Kyle Neptune can hold his nerve and figure out how to coach this high talent he's got, Villanova is going to be really good again, and Creighton is my favorite. I'll go on record right now and say it before we even do our conference predictions in a couple months. 
Creighton's my favorite to win the Big East. I think they're a top 10 ball club. They're going to go eight deep, maybe nine, and they're going to be big. They're going to be athletic. Getting a guy like Baylor Shireman from South Dakota State that can hit it from, you know, half court range. They're going to be able to shoot the three well. Losing Marcus Zagorowski is going to be less of an impact now with the quality depth they have. Uh, Ryan Kelkelbrand, I think that's his name, Kelkelbrand, um, their center who led them in scoring last year. Uh, Kelk Brenner, I'm sorry, Ryan Kelk Brenner, Arthur Kaluma, Ryan Nimhard coming off the injury. This is a team that gave the, the reigning champs Kansas all they wanted in the second round without Ryan Nimhard. Creighton is going to be phenomenal next year. Yeah, I don't have so much like an entire team that I want to get into, but just one guy that I've been super impressed with when I was getting into uh, Ohio State's incoming recruiting class. Bryce Sensabaugh, number 59 recruit in the country. Uh, he's out of Florida. He was the Mr. Basketball in Florida, averaged 25 points a game, seven rebounds. This kid is fucking NBA ready. And, and I know that sounds crazy for the number 59 recruit in the country. 6'6", 240 pounds, just an absolute physical monster, can handle the ball, can shoot the ball, can create for others. Needs to come along a little bit on defense, but last week this kid – Ohio State has a little summer league they do in Columbus. They invite former players back, just Columbus area guys in general. Sensabaugh dropped 50 in a game that had Trey Burke on the opposite team. So it's not just like dudes off the street. Trey Burke, former NBA player. So look out for Bryce Sensabaugh this year. I legitimately think he'd be a one-and-done guy. Team, I'm keeping an eye on this year that everybody needs to be put on fucking notice because they're going to be good this year, and I fucking hate it. Every minute of it. Virginia. Virginia is going to contend with North Carolina for the top of the ACC conference. Um, they're going to be a top 15 team ranked preseason, I would imagine. They only lose Cody Statman, not much. 3.3 uh, points per game, two rebounds per game, not much. They bring back a senior, Jaden Gardner, who might average a double-double this game. Maybe 20 and 10. We'll see about that. Kihei Clark's coming back again. My God, it feels like that dude's been playing there for six fucking years already. Can't stand that dude. He's out there with Drew Tammy on my most hated team. Um, but 10 points per game, three rebounds per game for a small guard like him. That's very impressive. Four assists per game as well. Omain Franklin's coming back senior year, 11 points per game. He's got to hit shots, though. He shot last year 29% from three, which is garbage. After coming off of a 42 three-point percentage when he was at uh, his last year at Indiana. So he needs to at least get back to average, about 35 36%. Reese Beekman, junior. This kid's going to be a dog. He might win my most improved player of the year for the ACC. Uh, we'll see about that, though. A guy that i seen John Grostein post about, Caden Shedrick, Jr. Caden uh, Shedrick, excuse me. Uh, seven points per game. He's a redshirt junior, five rebounds per game. Rossi was raving about this kid on Twitter, about how good he's going to be for Virginia. Watch out for him. They got four, four stars coming in, along with a grad transfer uh, from Ohio, Bennett Vanderplas, 14 a game, seven rebounds a game, three assists a game, lit Kentucky's ass up last year um, against Kentucky. Virginia, defensively, they're going to be better. Offensively, they're going to be able to hit shots. The length well, hey, um, court might give them problems. Hey, I want to ask you a question. You mentioned their defense. Um, they're known under Tony Bennett for being a top three defense consistently, but that's what let them down last year. They ranked 59th in Ken Palm in overall defense. Do you expect them to get back to the roots this year with all those super talented guards coming back? Which fun fact, um, that's the f first time in like 10 years they've been ranked out of like the top 20, 
25 in defense efficiency on Ken Palm, I think, um, which is incredible to say about Virginia. But, yeah, I think their defense will be better this year. I don't know if I can say they'd be top five. I definitely expect it to be maybe top 10, top 20-ish. Uh, but I think their offense is going to be electrifying this year. The guard play is great. So, and I, I like Jaden Gardner. I think he's going to be a stud this year. So, watch hey, out, Virginia. I want to go. I want, and that's terrifying for the rest of the college basketball. The Virginia's back up there down here. Hey, I want to go around the table real quick from the research you guys have done in your conferences so far. If you had to give one underdog sleeper team in the in a conference that you've you know researched so far, who would that sleeper be? And I'll go with mine first to lead it off. In the SEC, since I've not got the Big East completed yet, the SEC, keep an eye out on Vanderbilt. I know that sounds odd. They lost some good pieces. Scotty Pippen Jr. is gone. You know, Rodney Chapman averaged almost eight's gone. But they do return Jordan Wright, averaged 12-3. Miles Studi, 8-3. Their big man, Liam Robbins, is back 6-8. Trey Thomas is back almost six a game. Quentin Melora Brown, almost six a game. And then they bring in... Three four-stars, a center lead door, a guard Noah Shelby, a forward Colin Smith. They bring in a three-star forward Malik Dia, which is super talented that should crack the rotation. A three-star guard in Paul Lewis, who should – I don't know how much he'll play. He, I'm sure he'll probably get some mop-up minutes, probably back into the rotation somewhere. But the one who's projected to be in their starting lineup, probably their starting point guard, transfer from UC Davis, guard Ezra Manion. I'm telling you, this is a team that went 19 and 17 overall last year, 7 11 SEC, but turned it on late in the year, made it to the SEC quarterfinals, almost beat Kentucky, and made it all the way to the quarters and barely lost to the eventual NIT champion, Xavier, by two points. I think that Jerry Stackhouse has got a pretty good team in Vanderbilt. Their style of play, you know how they play, they're gritty. They're going to grind you out, run when the opportunity presents itself. They're going to be a handful for a lot of teams. And in a weird spot in an SEC where the top teams are going to be really talented, like Kentucky, Arkansas, Tennessee, Auburn. And then the middle of the road and the back end is going to be in fluctuation. It's not going to be as good as conference as it was last year. I can easily see Vanderbilt finishing up towards the 5-6 range, a 20-win team and borderline NCAA team. Keep an eye out on Vanderbilt this year. I'm really expecting them to have a great year for Jerry Stackhouse. Yeah, from the Big Ten, uh, somebody I was a little surprised with is Maryland. Kevin Willard has managed to put together a pretty solid, experienced roster in, in the short time he's been there. They lose Fats Russell, their leading scorer from a year ago, uh, but they return their second leading scorer. Oh, gosh, his name's not right in front of me here. Give me just a second. Um, but they have Jameer Young coming in from Charlotte, averaged almost 20 a game last year. Have Donald Carey coming in from Georgetown, who averaged double figures. Uh, Patrick Emilien um, from St. Francis, I believe, also averaged 12 a game. Solid-bodied big guy. And Dante Scott is their second leading scorer from last year. He returns. So pretty solid, experienced team. Um, you know, weren't as bad last year as I think you would kind of expect if you consider they got their coach fired in the middle of the season, that kind of stuff. Only 15 and 17, so some stuff to build on. I don't think they compete for the Big Ten title, but I could definitely see Maryland uh, as a tournament team. Well, my team for the ACC Conference uh, is a team from Virginia. 
and their name is Virginia Tech. Mike Young's got a team that's going to be fucking pretty solid this year. Wouldn't surprise me if they finish top uh, top three in the ACC. Um, would not shock me at all. But Mike Young, I mean, they lose Kayla Luma, uh, 15.8 points per game. He was definitely a big piece. They lost Naheem Allen um, last year as well, Storm Murphy. So they lose three starters from last year's squad. But they bring in bring back Justin Mutz, who's a grad senior. Ten points per game, seven point five rebounds per game, three and a half assists per game. Uh, Hunter Couture, who's a senior, he played mostly at shooting guard last year. I'd imagine he'll probably either he'll either float from shooting guard to point guard this year um, because he's got a back mate of um, a big time four star freshman. Rodney Rice coming in, 6'4", 195 pounds. Dude can get buckets. He can defend a little bit as well. So that two, those two guard pairings of Rodney Rice and fucking uh, Couture is going to be nasty for Virginia Tech. And they got a guy coming in from um, Notre Dame, Grant Basile. Basil, how the fuck you say his last name? Either way, he averaged like 18 points per game, and he lit it up for Notre Dame, 8.5 rebounds per game as well. So... That's going to be a nice painting with him and Justin Mutt on the front court. Virginia Tech, they got a squad. The depth's going to maybe concern them a little bit. But as far as um, offense goes, they was like 18th last year in offensive efficiency. Or 17th, excuse me. And they had like a top 50 defense as well. I expect more of the same this year. But the depth can give them issues. But watch out for the Hokies. Virginia Tech. It's a good shout. ACC tournament champs went on the magical run. It's a good shout, both of you. Before we get out of here, last piece of business. I don't know if we touched on it, but we will right here. Uh, the highly controversial Sean Miller is back in coaching, back where he made a name for himself at Xavier with the Musketeers, The like I mentioned, the reigning NIT champions. I think it's going to take him at least a year to get his his players in the, in the mix. But, you know, they've got Indiana coming in this year. What do you guys feel about Sean Miller being back at Xavier and just how fast do you think it'll take him to get everything turned back around to have Xavier back in the conversation? I don't think it takes long. I think they're probably right back in the tournament this season. Um, he didn't take over, you know, a super, super barren situation when it came to talent. Their team that should have been in the tournament last year would have been in the tournament if not for just a complete late season collapse. So I think uh, Sean Miller steps in with that, uh, I don't want to say expertise, but, you know, he's – He's pretty much won consistently at both Xavier when he was there and Arizona until those last you know year or two when he was under NCAA kind of microscope. So I think they're right back in the mix for the tournament and probably two or three years away from competing for Big Tw- or, uh, Big East titles. <clears throat> yep, I'll second that. I think they're back in the tournament immediately this year. I think they get into the tournament because they almost made it last year um, and ended up losing in the Big East uh, tournament. But um, I, I'm looking at their – I don't have the roster on me right now. I'll have to check that later. But I'm looking at their depth chart from last year. They had three freshmen starting. Um, so I'm not sure if all those three guys are coming back or not. But obviously they'll probably lose Daryl Morself. I – um, if I'm looking at this correctly, since he's a senior last year, unless he's a grad senior coming back. Um, but I definitely think Sean Milley's a hell of a coach. Uh, he did well at Arizona. So I think he's, I think we'll have this team back in the tournament very, very soon. This year to be exact. Well, right. they obviously lost Paul Scruggs, which was an all big East performer two seasons ago. Really? He had a great career at Xavier and they lose Nate Johnson. That's about 22 points a game that they've losing or they're losing plus Dewan Odom. That's another 6.3, but they're bringing in two four-star kids and Desmond Claude and Cam Kraft. They're bringing in the Tennessee State transfer, Hersey Miller, and they're bringing in a transfer from UTEP, 
Suli Boom or the Boom, yeah, Suli Boom averaged 19.9, just shy of 20 a game, was all conference second team in the conference USA. So I think, like you mentioned, Phil, they're not going to be barren with talent, but I think he's got a roster good enough that it'll compete. I still see him just missing the tournament in the Big East from you know the Big East conference this year. But I think it'll take about a year because we know one thing about Sean Miller is he's going to get recruits in. He's a really good coach. Xavier the first go-round, Arizona before all the infractions and the scandals and all that. The one thing I do wonder is, I don't know, has a ruling ever came down on him from the infractions of Arizona? And if not, well, how much will that play in a factor? I'd imagine Xavier's done their homework. They probably wouldn't have hired him if they feel like they're going to get hit with some kind of ban or suspension. But I'm wondering if those uh, those allegations and all of that are still lingering. Uh, I don't think they are because, like you said, I, I, I'm off the top of my head, I'm not 100% sure, but I can't imagine Xavier would have made that higher um, if he still had some allegations hanging over his head because there would be a potential show cause penalty, stuff like that. Um, and Peyton sort of mentioned it. I didn't have the roster right in front of me when we started talking about this, but a couple guys coming back that I loved from last year, Adam Conkle is just a, a great veteran guard, started his career at Belmont, um, just knocked down shooter, really good player. And then Jack Nunge, um, I believe started his career in Iowa. Yeah. And seven footer, uh, dude can switch on defense. We talked about him last year. So I, they have guards, they have big dudes, they have experience. You mentioned the young guys they're bringing in. I actually, now that I'm looking at this roster a little bit more, really like Xavier's chances a lot more. Zach Fremantle, another senior. Um, I think Xavier has a chance to be pretty damn good this year, actually. Yeah, it's interesting. We'll have to keep an eye on it. I know there's a lot of controversy hiring him because of all the infractions, but if he's cleared, then that's a great hire because Sean Miller, when he's on his game, he's one of the better coaches in college basketball. And he's familiar with Xavier in the surrounding area, having spent so long there. So I think that's a good hire by Xavier. They need to get back into national relevancy, and this could be the way to do it more than likely. But um, I think that's pretty much it for today's episode. A lot of DJ Wagner recruiting talk, more so than normal, but it's the summertime. Like Peyton mentioned, it's kind of a dead period. Guys, I cannot wait until we can reveal later on down the road what we're working on because you will be shocked and hopefully appreciate all the effort we've been putting into this project. It's a big, big endeavor, and we couldn't, you know, couldn't do it without the the support from all of you. We thank you. We've got the new logo to celebrate year five. And again, you guys can see it if you're following along live. I mentioned at the top of the show. Thank you to our brand new sponsors and partners at Beauty to Beast Nutrition. Yet again, stop in if you're around. The central Indiana area, stopping in downtown Edinburgh, Indiana. It's a beauty to beast nutrition for all your healthy teas, smoothies, protein shakes, coffees, all that. It's good for you, good for any diet you're on. Talk to the owner, Natasha. She's a sweetheart. Tell her ECB sent you more importantly, and you'll get 10% off your entire purchase. But wrapping up episode 112 for Peyton and Phil, I'm Josh Burton. I hope you guys enjoyed this. And until episode 113, we hope you guys have a great rest of your Sunday evening, and we will catch you down the road. Boom. Boom.